Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. to Ringer Dish. I'm Juliette Littman. I am here with the host of the town, Matt Bellany. Hi, Matt. Welcome. Hi there. Um, we are here to talk about a comprehensive history up till today, which is the Friday before Labor Day, of what's happening with Don't Worry Darling, Olivia Wilde, Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, Harry Styles, and many other people. I try to phrase it like a town email, you know, and also the Believer magazine used to do this of like, in this, in this essay or whatever. So those are the nouns. Before we get into it, I just wanted to tell you, because I, I know you'll be interested in this, Jam Session's coming back next week. Oh, that is fantastic <laughs> news. I missed my um, Jam Session. Thank you. I had to go out and actually read Architectural Digest. I, uh, yeah, I couldn't yeah, just listen to you to guys break it down. Uh, there's a lot to catch up on. Today, Nancy Myers posted an Instagram of Hans Zimmer uh, rehearsing for her daughter's wedding, which I guess he played at for uh, the ceremony. So that's amazing flex by Nancy Myers. That's pretty good. I want, you guys need to recap like the past six months of Celebrity Architectural Digest features. I know, there's a, really a lot. <laughs> my my personal favorite is um, Sienna Miller's, her old thatch roof house in England is so nutty. So yes, yeah, so there's a lot to discuss. Amanda's back from parental leave. So that is returning on Tuesday and then we'll be on Mondays going forward. Excellent. Um, with that said, Let's get into the Don't Worry Darling drama. What do you what do you think is the name of this drama? If you had to give it like, you know, you're writing a dissertation, what would you call it? Mm, Wild Styles. <laughs> Wild Styles Gate. I don't know. I like that. I, I mean, like Wild that Styles is pretty funny. So from the very beginning, this has just been pretty uncomfortable. I remember a few months ago when Olivia Wilde was served at CinemaCon, the papers um, from Jason Sudeikis. We didn't really talk about it that much on the Ringer Podcast Network. Uh, I think you did on the town, 
But I mentioned it because I was there and I right. saw it happen and it was weird, but like no one really gave it two thoughts. It seemed like some kind of production assistant who was giving her a direction like, oh, we don't have the trailer footage we thought we did or something. It was not like everyone dropped their drinks yeah. and was like, what? It was just kind of whatever. It wasn't until the next day that it came out that this was a process server that had somehow infiltrated a you know, invitation only COVID test required. Everybody's on a list event and served her and then took off. <laughs> right. And she made that point in variety as well. Mm -hmm. But I, what I was going to say is we didn't really talk about it because it's just sort of like uncomfortable. Like, do we in the court of public opinion want to be weighing in on the legal maneuvers of the ongoing um, custody and and divorce matters of Jason Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde? Never, mar never married. Just custody. Just custody. Got it. Right. They were always engaged. Anyway, we kind of shied away from it. But now it's become a part of this much, much longer narrative of where things stand with Olivia Wilde. And so let's just begin with a, with a brief TikTok of everything that's happened since then. So when was CinemaCon? That was in April, I believe. Okay. So that was in April. I feel like that was really the first, the first storyboard in this drama to me. Yeah, and then there was the, there was a Harper's Bazaar interview that Florence Pugh did. I believe it actually came out before, perhaps around the same time, uh, when the trailer for Don't Worry, yes. Darling was coming out. I think that out. was May-June, if I recall okay. correctly. She took umbrage at how the film was being positioned. Mm -hmm. She was unhappy that the sort of like leading headline was Harry Styles goes down on Florence Pugh in first trailer for Don't Worry, Darling. Um, and since then, people online had very closely been monitoring how Olivia Wilde was promoting the film and talking about how great Florence Pugh was. And Florence Pugh, who notably uses her Instagram account to really promote most of her work and most of her projects, didn't have... It was almost, like, silent on this film, except right. for with Harper's Bazaar. And, like, when the trailer went up, she didn't really say anything. Do you have the quote? Yeah, it's, when it's reduced to your sex scenes or to watch the most famous man in the world go down on someone, it's not why we do it. It's not why I'm in this industry. Right. And I think I think that's a pretty a pretty uh, firm quote. Also, I just want to say I don't consider Harry Styles the most famous man in the world, but I understand <laughs> what she's saying. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a generous little uh, backhanded compliment there. But no, but what it raised was the fact that this that Florence Pugh was not on board with the whole don't worry, darling press train. Yes. And it it only you know it only got worse when this variety piece came out because everybody knew all summer that this was kind of a simmering cauldron. I had talked to producers, uh, even some involved with the movie who said, okay, we got to get through this. Like this is going to, this is potentially going to be an issue. I thought knowing Olivia Wilde a little bit and having dealt with her in the past, she's extremely smart. She has journalists in her family. She, you know, has managed her media profile really well. I thought she would know how to do interviews without causing the headlines to be only about the tabloid personal stuff. But right. then this Variety interview drops and it blows the whole thing up. Yeah. So in the piece, she addresses um, being served at CinemaCon, which she positions as a premeditated way to like disgrace her in a professional setting. An attack, a vicious An attack. attack. And she said, there's a reason why I left that relationship. So she yes. really angry at Jason Sudeikis. We'll come back now, to it that It was in a weird. Minute. It was weird. But I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say this was not an attack. This guy did not tackle her. This guy. I mean, she may have felt 
invaded personally and it may have been uncomfortable for her and it sort of seems inappropriate. But I was a lawyer before I was a journalist and you hire process servers to serve people the papers. They, you know, there's there's long dissertations about what is appropriate and not appropriate for process servers. This is something that is, you know, probably on the side of the scale of inappropriateness, but not that inappropriate in, in terms of what people have done in the past. And this is a very difficult person to serve. She's on private jets. She is surrounded by handlers all the time. She doesn't, it's not like she's walking into Ralph's on a Sunday morning. So you got to do what you got to do. Right, right. I think that's a really important point. Also, if you watch The Good Wife, you know it can happen at any time. You can get served anywhere, anytime. (laughs) Um, So she brings that up. And then there was two other rumors that were out that she also acknowledged in the piece. One was, I believe this first rumor emanated from a Demois post where it was rumored that there was a vast pay disparity between Florence Pugh, an Academy Award-nominated actress and the star of the film, and Harry Styles, who's this is his third movie, and it is a supporting role. And it was rumored that like it was like three, he was getting three times the amount of money. She denied that in um, the variety piece. Yeah, I didn't even address that in my piece because I I heard it was BS. Okay. I was actually gonna ask you that. I'm yeah. I'm glad to hear that. So that's good to know. And I also Amanda and I have long been doubtful of the information put out there by Demoine. That's just <laughs> another reason why. <laughs> um, and then the other, the other piece of sort of like the Florence Pugh agenda that had been out there, but not confirmed and not directly addressed by Olivia Wilde, but this is something that I want to get into now, is that it's a, it's been alleged that Florence Pugh was unhappy with Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles' behavior on set. And not just like their the like the evolution of their personal relationship, but then also like how it made Olivia Wilde unavailable as her director and whatnot. And you wrote a little bit about this in your um, Puck newsletter earlier in the week. And I was hoping you could sort of like recap some of that reporting. Because I think that that was actually some of the most interesting original reporting to come out this week and just in, in the, over the course of this saga. And I also think it's really important because it speaks to Olivia Wilde as a professional, as a director, and not just like a famous woman in a relationship. And that's why I think it's so important. So I just wanted you to speak on that. Right. So I confirmed a lot of that, that Florence Pugh was not happy with the way that Olivia Wilde was acting as a director. I mean, this is the star of the movie. Harry Styles, remember, is a supporting character in this film. Florence Pugh is the star. And from the sources that I talked to, it was an awkward dynamic on the set because the relationship with Harry Styles started pretty early and got more and more involved to the point where Olivia Wilde would not be there. They would be setting up shots and she and Harry Styles would not be there. And, you know, I, I it got to the point where she was complaining to people on the set. It didn't make it all the way back to the studio, which is when you really have a problem. It Mm -hmm. sort of stayed on the set, but it was something that she expressed to people on the set that, you know, where the hell is this woman? I know she's supposed to be telling me what to do. And it wasn't there. Right. That's tough. I I think that is really important details because Olivia Wilde positions herself in the Variety article very much as um, this director who, as she should, I mean, she is a director and Booksmart was beloved. I liked it. It was a good movie. Oh, yeah. Um, she positions herself as sort of, you know, she takes the Jason Sudeikis process server incident and says it's like an affront to her as a professional, 
um, not just as like, you know, the mother of his children. And then, you know, I, I think it's pretty interesting that Olivia Wilde, or excuse me, Florence Pugh, sort of like the, the, the kernel where this all started was her be- professional behavior. And I bring all this up because I, I was really pleased when I read the, um, what I'm hearing newsletter and you asked like this really important question, which is like, is Olivia Wilde a victim of sexism? I think that that is a current that is running through this entire discourse about Mm -hmm. this movie, because as much as I heard that she was absent, this is not the first time a director has taken up with the leading star of the movie or the, you know, a, a star of the movie. This is a, there is a grand tradition in Hollywood of filmmakers dating their leading ladies. Lead. Yeah, sure. exactly. And they're all men. So why is this any different than that? And many of those men would disappear and not be around. And it was chalked up to being auteurs and creative geniuses and eccentric artists. Why is Olivia Wilde held to a different standard here? Um, Now, I would argue that it's 2022, and even if men did that, they would be held to account, perhaps publicly, whereas she was not when the movie was happening. Um, And uh, there are also a number of other things. This this was a very difficult shoot because it was one of the first movies that was back shooting after the COVID shutdown. So there were strict protocols. Olivia Wilde would have periodic meetings with the cast and crew to preach COVID safety. And if you're going home tonight, don't go out, stay in your bubble. Don't do anything. They broke for the holidays. And she told everybody, you know, be very careful. Don't do anything that you shouldn't be doing. Stay at home with your family. And then a week after Christmas, she and Harry Styles pop up at the wedding of his manager, Jeffrey Azoff together. And everyone on the set was basically like, wait, what? You just told us not to do this. And that was their big coming out. There were, you know, there were press, there's a lot of press coverage of that. It was their way to kind of go public with the relationship without putting out a press release. And then they come back to the set and they actually had a little bit of a shutdown because they were gone and people were uncomfortable. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That's interesting. I mean, there were other factors too, because there were other people that Mm -hmm. had, you know, it was after the holidays, but it didn't help. And a lot of the crew members were like, wait a second, do the rules just not apply to you, the filmmaker? Right. That's really interesting. That's that's very tough. But you said something that I, I actually, I'm not sure I agree with. Like, I don't know that a man would be, like, held to account in the same way. And I think part of that... Even today? Yeah. I I I think this should... I think Shia LaBeouf releasing the video, which is sort of, like, the um, real, like, smashing of the gauntlet and sort of... I was describing this to a friend as, like, there was, like, a... A fire. There was like there were like embers, and Shia LaBeouf came over and just like poured gasoline on it. And there were, she, but those were shots fired. In the Variety interview, she says we. Ha- she doesn't use the word fired. Variety uses that word, which is interesting because if you talk to the Warner's camp, they would say you know this was Variety used fire, not Olivia. But mm-hmm. she does say that she had to get r- get rid of him because of his quote combative energy. Right. That's a pretty big insult, and it violates the usual norms between filmmakers and stars where even if you fire somebody you don't go public saying that they were fired and that they were they had combative energy you say creative differences you say scheduling conflicts which is what they had said in the past you don't right. do also, this what's what he said too i mean exactly it seems like there was some truth to that because shia labeouf said like the scheduling conflict was like that he was not willing to budge on not rehearsing basically 
Exactly, which is fine. Like there's a truth, there's a kernel of truth to it. And she blew that all up, knowing, by the way, that Shia LaBeouf is not a stable person, mm-hmm. that he is a very erratic and <laughs> you know, prone to outbursts like this. And of course, he then goes on the attack, makes public the email that he sends to her saying, you know very well why I left this movie. And then, boom, the video comes out. And that is just super damaging. The Miss Flow comment, oh. Yes, so the the video is really, really rough. And I think the most damaging thing to happen to Olivia Wilde, in, in my opinion. And, but so I acknowledge the video is damaging. And in it, she it's, it's a selfie of her in her car after she is, she's like sweaty and very casual. She just, as she says in the video, ridden her horse. And she asks Shia if he can find it, if he can, if she says, if Miss Flo recommits to this and finds it in her mind and heart, like, could, could this still work out? And the way that she doesn't say a lot about Florence Pugh, but she definitely implies there's a problem there. And if I were Florence Pugh, I would feel like she sacrificed me and threw me under the bus to try to get Shia LaBeouf back. Um, and it's really, da- it's completely counters what she says about why child buff left the film but moreover what i think is even a bigger problem is it's you know completely counter to her self-proclaimed role as like protector on the film set where she is definitely not protecting florence Pugh in this situation especially since you know Shia LaBeouf now has, uh, you know, he's been accused of um, abuse by FKA Twigs, and that is, that's still ongoing. He basically copped some of that in this interview with John Bernthal this week on John, John Bernthal's podcast. And so, you know, to kind of, like, flip that around and undercut herself that way, it's just such a huge, like, gaffe and just, like, honestly baffling. Um, and it I, is baffling I really don't because she's got to know that that video exists when she says that about Shia in the interview. So why do that? Do you think he's just going to lay down and let you trample all over him? Or has the filmmaker complex so engulfed her that she just doesn't see reality? Because keep in mind... That's more likely, in my opinion. More likely, because but keep in mind this project. When this project was shopped, there were supposedly 18 bidders for this project. That, that was a little overstated, but there were a lot of people that wanted to make this movie. And in the process of doing that auction, Olivia got a little confident from the people that I talked to who were in those meetings. Like she knew this was a, she was a hot director that this is, you know, for as much as there is sexism involved in the narrative about what happened on set, Hollywood wants female filmmakers to succeed right now. There is so much pressure on diversifying the directing ranks because there's awful, awful stats on the number of yeah. female directors. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. So it when is. a, when a project like this comes along with a director who has made one movie, but a good movie that people liked, it didn't do that well. It made $25 million on a six or so million dollar budget. So great. But everybody wanted this movie because it was supposed to cost $20 million and would be a, you know, next step forward for this. They thought it had thriller elements, sci-fi. It could be kind of like a Jordan Peele, type movie, but from a female perspective. Interesting. Studios loved it. She, from everybody I've talked to, got a a lot more confidence. Some might say arrogant about her own abilities. And it shows a little bit in this video because she's talking about these people almost like they're kind of her playthings. 
Totally. Yeah. Like they're like toys. Yeah. Right. And which is not unusual. And filmmakers often speak that way. But it's not the image of someone who is, you know, positioning themselves as a protector of everyone on set and ejected this guy, Shia LaBeouf, from the situation because he was giving off combative energy. Right. Yeah. That, it's just, it's so confusing. But I think my, back to my premise, like, do you think Shia LaBeouf would have done that with a male director? Like, does he fear her less because she's a woman or because she's less less established? Like, I, I'm just, I'm not sure that he would, but also this is such an unprecedented situation. There's not a lot to compare it to. Would he have done that to Steven Spielberg? No. Yeah. Like, no. there's no way, right? But Steven Spielberg would never have said that in the interview. Right. So we don't know the example. But would he have done that to, you know, Joe Blow on his second movie? Would he Maybe. have done that to Jordan Peele? Uh, good question. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm not. It's very, very dangerous to try to jump inside Shia LaBeouf's head. <laughs> and potentially unpleasant. <laughs> yes. But I guess, I guess my next question is, not only would Steven Spielberg not do that, but he probably would also have someone who would interrupt the middle of the interview to say, let's keep on track or something like that. And so do you think that Warner Brothers is properly protecting Olivia Wilde here? Well, first of all, Olivia Wilde has a prominent personal publicist named Maria Herrera, whose job it is to manage this whole rollout and and I would think prevent things like this from happening. She either didn't do that or this is part of the plan or she likes it. Cannot, this cannot be part of the plan because well, Olivia there's a Wilde- theory out there. I mean, there is a theory that this is part of the plan. And really? that they knew that to engage Harry Styles fans to come to this movie, they have to let them know that this movie exists. And the only way to do that these days is to break through the clutter in the news. And this is how you do it. I really don't. I don't buy into that. I just think that Olivia Wilde, to her credit, has put a lot of time and energy into shifting her career from actress to director. And totally. I don't think that someone who cared about their work would would totally undercut it with this with with a storyline that's actually not even related to if the movie is good or not. It's also not even about like an onset debacle, except for like her being absent, which you said is not even that uncommon. So like, it's not an epic disaster. It's an epic publicity disaster, honestly. And so it I, is. And I, and honestly, and I agree with you. I, I don't think this was planned. I think that's that's a conspiracy theory. But I will say that I looked at some stats on awareness of this movie and it spiked mm-hmm. that week. So mm-hmm. it did make people more aware of this. Now, the problem is they've got a month till the movie comes out. So, (laughs) and they've got now an awkward press conference at the Venice Film Festival on Monday that, you know, who knows what they're going to say. She has already sat for a Vanity Fair interview that predated this other Variety interview coming out. And we have no idea what she says in that interview. That's pegged for the release. So this, this is going to be the narrative. And there are instances where the personal off-screen narrative can derail the actual narrative for the movie and sabotage it. Sure. I mean, Geely is a great example. The famous example <laughs> is Geely, but you know, it happens on other movies too. Like look back and it also can help the movie. Look back at like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Right. The, the, you know, Brad and Angelina movie like that was all people feared that that movie was going to be derailed because of all the personal stuff about her stealing him away from Jennifer Aniston and all this thing. But it sort of played into the movie. And here's the key thing. The movie delivered. Yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, okay, let's see. So if Don't Worry Darling is good, and I have not seen it, if it's good, this may end up sort of creating a zeitgeist moment. Like, oh, this thing that we've heard of is actually good. If it's bad, it could be the next Geely. Right. 
This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. I'm kind of curious what you think about Florence Pugh. Like, what did you think about her as a celebrity before this? And like, what do you think about her now? I'll be honest. uh, I barely knew who she was. Well, I just want to note, this is not Florence Pugh's like first onset fight. One thing that was noted about about Little Women, which I absolutely adored, and Mm -hmm. I worship Greta Gerwig, and we'll see everything she's involved in, like, for always and forever. Lady Bird and Frances Ha are two of my favorite movies. And Barbie. Don't forget Barbie. I can't wait, Matt. I cannot (laughs) wait. I'm also really excited about uh, White Noise on Netflix with with her and Adam Driver. Like, someone told me this, someone told me there is a very very funny scene in the Barbie movie with Ryan Gosling and his Ken genitals. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, you know, I'm famously, so... Ken has no genitals, None. right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So there's like an exploration moment, apparently. I don't know oh this my for God. fact. I'm so, I'm so excited. Um, I love Little Women. I don't like the Amy character. I thought Florence Pugh was excellent in it. But one thing that kind of attached itself to that movie was Emma Watson was involved in almost none of sort of like the camaraderie that surrounded it. And Chalamet and Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan and... Florence Pugh, like, kind of were all, like, friends, and they all, like, loved Greta, and Emma Watson was, like, totally separate from this. And so this is not, like, the first, like, time there's been some kind of drama on a Florence Pugh movie, but, of course, like, every movie has drama, too, right? So it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know Especially about with that. young people. But I will just say, she also, she never speaks on this stuff. Like, she's actually, I think, a pretty model celebrity in that, like, she is very intentional, and I, I actually think it's, like, pretty impressive, but I'm curious, like, what you think. I, I think that she has why the most did, Why to does she need this. to talk? Why does she, she need doesn't. to talk here? I mean, she's winning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I reached out to her publicist. Publicist is like, you can say I declined to comment. I'm like, right. great. 
they're, they're playing this so well. I, I've always thought that celebrities who speak less just really do much better. And my two best examples of that are Beyonce and Rihanna. Neither of them do very many interviews. They certainly would never sit for a variety. And Leo. Leo's yeah. another one. Yeah. Like the bet. Yeah. When he did press for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was like so shocking. I was like, I can't believe he's sitting. Yeah. I mean, this. there is a certain amount of contractual press you have to do to promote the movie. And he'll do that. He'll sit right. and, you know, do the interview or whatever. But then he goes away and you never right. hear about him except when he dumps his 25 year old girlfriend. Because she turns 25. Right. <laughs> but, like, he's not participating in that discourse. No, definitely not. Also, he notably did group interviews for, I think, Once Upon a Time. I think he did almost no solo press, if I recall correctly. Well, that's kind of the model. I mean, there is a way now to do a press tour without actually doing any solo substantive interviews or saying anything of substance. I mean, Tom Cruise is the perfect example. That guy did a whirlwind press tour for Top Gun Maverick, literally did nothing of substance. No one-on-one yeah. -on -one interviews, nothing where anyone could ask him anything uncomfortable. It was always one question down the line for 400 reporters in a row. Right. Tom Cruise, what a master. But I, I think whatever Florence Pugh is doing is like obviously working. She also said a long time ago that she was not doing press for this outside of the Venice Film Festival. And I, um, Olivia Wilde recently uh, canceled an interview with THR. And so it seems like she's pulling back. And so Florence Pugh is also in this position where she doesn't have to walk anything back because she's just not, she's never said anything and she's yeah. not doing anything. Well, and she has an excuse because she's filming Dune right now. Right, right. So she, they can too. always say, oh, she's unavailable. She's on set. But you know what? When you want to promote the movie or you think you got a shot for an Oscar, you make time for that. Right. Also, she had a breakup this summer. She broke up with Zach Braff. No one heard about it until weeks later. Right. You don't, you don't see, you don't even know. I, I told, you know, it's funny. I, that was, I'll be honest. That's kind of how I knew her. I knew she was a good <laughs> actress and I knew that she was in, um, she was in the Marvel movie, but I kind of knew, I saw her at a party once with Zach Braff and I was like, oh yeah, that's Florence Pugh. Did you see Mid Midsommar? Midsommar? I did not. No, that was, that's her big movie. That's her big movie. That's what she's probably most famous for. But she's also, she's very much in the same zone as Harry Styles for like young people on the internet. Like she's kind of like a, if Tumblr was still big, she'd be like a Tumblr star. And now it's like right. TikTok or whatever. But she's like, she's like a cult figure of some kind. And I think this will only add to it. And she's, despite being unhappy with the movie, she's definitely coming away as the big winner. But I'm I'm curious for you, like, do you think that if Olivia, if the movie's successful, like, will there, what will happen for Olivia Wilde? And if the movie's unsuccessful, what will happen for Olivia Wilde? I think Olivia Wilde took a hit from all of this controversy within the business. I mean, mm -hmm. I had a, a very prominent female producer email me and say, like, you know, this is what we've been fighting for so that she can go on set and F her star and not protect her leading lady. Like, that's not great. So, yeah, I think that there is some feeling within the industry that she's not handled this kind of opportunity that well. Mm -hmm. Having said that, if the movie delivers, everybody will want to work with her. Right. right. So I don't think that that I mean, it's it's a this is this is a small problem. She's not like Warner's. When you talk to Warner Brothers, they're like, yeah, it was fine. You know, troubled production because of covid. But we would work with her again. Like, it's not like she was running 30 million dollars over budget and not taking phone calls and, you know, absconding with the script. Like it was not right. this is not a troubled production. So right. I, I would say that that if the movie is good and does well. Even if it's bad and does well, she will absolutely get a lot of offers. Let's talk about the Harry Styles piece of this. I think that 
that he's the least discussed in all of this, though he's at the center center of the drama. That's partially because he's only been in two movies before, and this is about to be his third. Well, he's also on tour, so he's not really been doing much interview. Inter- he's although kind he did of do- on tour. He's been in New York for like two weeks doing True. his 15 nights. But he did do that Rolling Stone piece where he talked about his relationship with her. And he's scheduled to appear at the Venice premiere on Monday. So he's doing press. He doesn't, he's doing a little bit, but he's not really, you know, I just feel like in general, he's kind of unscathed from this. And I think that gets back to the question of sexism where like, no one's really talking about if Florence Pugh has a problem with Harry Styles or like, was Harry Styles unprofessional on set by, you know, getting with his director. And, Excellent point. And so, also, I would say Harry Styles has not, Harry Styles has a long history of dating older women. Like, he he always has. When he was on The X Factor, he was dating um, Caroline Flack. And, like, this is sort of part of his persona, but it's become so much, it's just so much more palatable. It's almost like no one even talks about it anymore. Um, the fact that he dates older women and, like, just kind of, he's so, like, Everything he does is just accepted because he takes other risks, I think. But I think that's another just type of sexism to this. But it is, although if would we be even talking about the age difference if it was a 37-year-old male director and a 25-year-old female? Well, I will say with Florence Pugh and Zach Braff came up. And she, that's did. a pretty big age difference. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Although he's he's a little older. He's 45, I think. Sure. And also, like, you know, lots of memes about Leo dumping his 25-year-old girlfriend. Oh, yeah, to- yeah, yeah. To- totally <laughs> deserved, obviously. <laughs> I don't know. There's just... It's just because there aren't a lot of other women directors, it's very hard to really think of, like, comparable situations. Like, this is... There's no, like, Ava du- DuVernay comp to this. No, you know, Catherine Bigelow, the, the I director... I was going to bring her up, too. Yeah. She had a relationship with Mark Bull, who mm. is the screenwriter and producer of... Hurt Locker? Hurt Locker. And didn't she have a relationship with James Cameron? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were married. Yeah, they were married. They were married. But but I don't believe that they... But that wasn't... Like, they didn't work together. I don't believe that they started dating when they worked together. Okay. But but this was... Mark Bowl and Catherine Bigelow, like, were together while making The Hurt Locker. And he's a younger male screenwriter slash producer, and she was an older female director. So there, that is a comp there. Didn't seem to hurt the movie. You know, still no. one best picture. Um, also, just an incredibly different kind of movie. Very true. And they and and Mark Bowl is a very different kind of guy. I mean, he's he was able to do this kind of press and never came up, really. Also, she wasn't an actress before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was in a high-profile relationship, but it was just like, it wasn't with someone who elicits like screams the way that Harry Styles does. I think that like, I mean, we all knew it in the press and we didn't really care. That's the difference. Yeah. Also, I think Hurt Locker is a really substantive movie that like, that really makes you think about a lot of different things, including like the pressure of war and like what it means to do a job and all these different things. I mean, Olivia Wilde would like us to think that Don't Worry Darling is a serious movie as well. Wasn't, doesn't she say it's an exploration of female pleasure? Yes, it, it does. She does. And I think that gets back to Florence Pugh's part, the, uh, her quote in Harper's Bazaar, where she's like, this is a serious movie and I didn't do it because of the sex scenes. And so I think that like this entire film and I, maybe that wasn't Olivia Wilde's um, desire to have the trailer this way or, you know, have it oh, focus no, it so was. much on that in one fact, scene. She did an interview a couple of days ago that came out that said that she actually was fighting to get more sex in the trailer and the MPAA would not allow her to have more in that trailer. Well, 
I do think her decision to position it this way has also contributed to the allure around it. I mean, you know, I'm sure, you know, sex sells. So I'm sure that was intentional with Harry Styles fans and that was a piece of it. Of course, of course. And it's not like Olivia Wilde can just say, I would like my trailer to be this. There are hordes of people at the studio who strategize about the marketing campaign and what's going, every little shot in every little trailer has a strategy behind it. And they know that if they, if, if, teen and college-age girls see that this is a movie where Harry Styles is in a a sexy role, that is way more appealing to them. Yeah, absolutely. So if it had worked out better, we'd probably be like, wow, she's a genius. Great marketing campaign. But here we are. I, what, what's like the moment you're most looking forward to in addition to the press conferences around the movie? Like, what do you think, which is coming, I think on the Monday of this weekend? The reviews. The reviews. I think because I haven't seen this, I don't have an opinion on it. I have heard from many critics who responded to what I wrote last week about the movie, and I know what they think. It's all embargoed. But Warner Brothers thinks this movie will get good reviews. Mm-hmm. And I am going to be surprised if it does. So we'll see. We will see. I'm sure we'll continue talking about it. You'll continue <laughs> talking about it on The Town, your excellent podcast that comes out three days a week. We actually have Florence Pugh in our Hollywood Stock Exchange. We're doing a young mm-hmm. Hollywood Stock Exchange today where we discuss whether we would buy or sell different uh, actors under 30. We discuss Florence Pugh. We discuss Harry Styles, all of them. Are you buying or selling on Harry Styles? I am actually a seller on Harry Styles. I think that Hollywood wants him to be a star and his stock is so high and he's getting all the offers. But the guy's been in like three movies so far, two of which we have not seen yet. Dunkirk was fine. but He didn't speak. Yeah, exactly. And if <laughs> we don't even know if he wants to be a star. The guy's a, right. a pop star making millions of dollars touring the world. So like, let's not put the burden of all of Hollywood on him quite yet. He's kind of the anti-Jennifer Lopez. I wish Jennifer Lopez had really been predominantly an actress versus like the the triple threat that she is, whereas I feel like Harry Styles should just really stick to, stick to the stage. His charisma on stage is unmatched, so just go with it. And, man. you know, I heard he's better in My Policeman, the other movie mm-hmm. that he's in this fall, um, which Amazon has coming out in a couple, couple months. We'll see if he's a real actor. Okay, well, we're going to find out. Um, thank you so much to Sasha Oshel for producing this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week, Ringer Dish on Tuesday, Tea Time on Friday, our signature I hope, deep dives, and so much more here on Ringer Dish. Matt, thank you so much. And don't forget to subscribe to Matt's newsletter with Puck News, what I'm hearing if you like this conversation. And that's not free, but The Town with Matt is free. So subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.